Hello, I'm the Paisley Print Arthur, and this is either Captain Carter Talks to Strangers or Captain Carter's Friday Night Podcast. I think I prefer the second title because it makes it really easy for you to remember when it's going to be coming out on a Friday night, UK time. So, I'm a week behind because last Friday, I believe, was Christmas and I had some stuff to do. Christmassy things. So... To apologise, I'm going to read you quite a bit of a short story from my upcoming short story collection that you've just heard of right now. It's called Hologram Kebab, and it's basically like a smaller, more marketable version of Who Built the Humans, because Who Built the Humans has quite a lot of clever sci-fi bits, which are hard to advertise to people, and the fact that it's comedy and sci-fi mix also makes it hard to advertise. I mean, Hologram Kebab is much the same, but it's also... A lot smaller. It's about three times smaller. So it's designed to be just a little book that you can pick up, read on your train to work, tell your mates about it. Whereas Who Built the Humans will blow your mind. Um, So yeah, this is a short story about charity shops. Very Christmas themed. Um, I'm going to have it published on a charity shop page. Like, I think it's, uh, what's the page called? Terrible Art in Charity Shops on Facebook. Um, I was writing a short story and I told them about it and they they want to put it on their page at some point when it's finished. It took took me like a few months. Um, Anyway, it's called Charity and I won't tell you what it's about. You just get to enjoy it. Fleet Commander Naf Crapcraft waited above a charity shop window somewhere near Manchester, England. His starship, the Knitted Jesus, hovered lopsidedly like a badly painted boob above the town centre, drooping lazily as he considered his next target. Mavis Bavis Davis pottered about below, fingering a selection of glove puppets with such enthusiasm and ferocity that you might think they paid her for it. After this, she poured her way through 78 identical Live, Laugh, Love posters and didn't lose her mind. This was interesting to Commander Naf Crapcrafts. It was interesting because Naf needed a robust human mind, one which wouldn't crumble under pressure. Eagerly, he watched as Mavis Bavis Davis poked through the DVDs of shows she didn't even like. As she did so, Commander Naf Crapcrafts poked through his record of humans. There was Barry Binbag, who was lovely, but a bit short. There was Glenda Tube, who was short, but a bit lovely. There was Gaz. He was tragically born without a surname. Gaz would look fantastic above the toilet in Naf's home, but his eyes roamed in an uncomfortable fashion, as if he was trying to escape a disapproving glare from a colleague after rubbing himself up against a water cooler and making dolphin noises. And there was, of course, Mavis Bavis Davis. She was just the right size for the space above the window and below the mould, and she was polite and quiet. She wouldn't be like the other humans Naf Crapcrafts had collected. No, Mavis would be well behaved. But then she died. Naf Crapcrafts had almost sacrificed his secrecy just to save her life, but it was too late. Mavis Bavis Davis had died of shock after seeing a portrait of what appeared to be a now disgraced children's presenter made out of pasta and glitter. It had been hung in an authentic Edwardian picture frame, and that in turn had been quote-unquote upcycled into a horrendous neon bland mess of beige and bits of glue on ribbons. Also, the disgraced presenter had his nipples out, and those were made of penne pasta sticking out from the frame like the ends of needles. 
and these in turn were filled with googly eyes. It was horrifying. So horrifying, in fact, that Mavis Bavis Davis had suddenly decided not to exist for one moment longer. So, as Mavis Bavis's heart was made redundant due to the fact that her soul had left her body without leaving a note, Commander Nafcrapcraft started searching desperately for a new human. Gaz seemed worth a shot. Fleet Commander Naf Crapcraft zoomed down the street, bludgeoning a pigeon with his invisible spaceship and sending the pigeon spiralling into the open mouth of someone's lovely laughing wife, whose husband promptly left her because she had a pigeon in her mouth, and he got incredibly jealous about that sort of thing, because the woman he was seeing on the side had once cheated on him with a crow. Naf Crapcrafts kept going, zipping between time worms as he pursued Gaz, don't worry about the time worms. Humans can't see them, and they don't pop up in this story again. In fact, I don't know why I brought them up. Eventually, after many more paragraphs of description that would be boiled down to a 30-second action scene if this was turned into a short film, Fleet Commander Naf Crapcraft skidded to a halt, because spaceships can skid now. There were skid marks in the air, which made no sense. Gaz was outside, and his cranium was out for everyone to see. What a dirty boy Gaz was, letting his bulging cranium hang out like that. Naf Crapcrafts could barely contain his excitement. His own forehead vein throbbed in anticipation, but he waited. He waited to be sure Gaz was the one. Naf's scouts had planted... Oh, sorry, I've skipped a line. Gaz entered the charity shop and began browsing. He was not perturbed by the first item Naf's scouts had planted there in advance, a papier-mâché bust of a 1980s singer filled with little poems about ham. Nor was Gaz bothered about the vibrating massage toy that an innocent and ancient charity shop worker had displayed coincidentally between a book about divorce and 769 copies of that erotic novel I'm not allowed to name due to a curse placed upon me by a witch that lives in my trousers and also intellectual property law. No, none of this bothered Gaz at all. He has a mind of steel! Alien steel, that is! Naf Crapcraps said to himself, for your benefit. He gazed upon Gaz and his tremendous cranium once more, drooling at the thought of a mind so undisturbed by such pointless, surreal trash. Yes, this would be the perfect human mind for the journey ahead. It had long been custom on Naf Crapcraft's world to find a human co-pilot for the dangerous journey through the charity shop portals. Whilst Naf's people could build believable tat at a reasonable rate, the charity portals were full of the real stuff. It was a huge tube in space-time, used for billions of years by ancient aliens to dispose of all the cheap shit and grubby paintings they didn't need anymore as they moved between planets and broke up with people. It was where lightly sharted Martian trousers could be splattered into, where abandoned interstellar school art projects lingered, where half-eaten puzzles waited, like cosmic mysteries, and where a vaguely urinal-esque smell loitered in the corners, despite this tubular space having no air to sniff and no corners for smells to loiter in. To put it bluntly, this place was a nightmare to navigate, and Naf Crapcraft's species simply could not do it. In fact, it was only navigable with a human brain attuned to rubbish. For this reason, Naf's people had begun developing tat of their own to test humans, to train them, dropping it into the lives of unwitting test subjects, hunting for that perfect human mind. And I think I've read enough of that 
um, I don't want to spoil it, but I will. I will jump ahead into another short story from the same collection. It's called Hologram Kebab. This one is actually the title story, um, and it's 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 really not edited at the moment, so it's quite badly thrown together. This is called Kebab. Anya crawled out of bed in much the same way she crawled into it the night before. Her hair was still damp from the rain, her phone still sputtering alerts and notifications she didn't care about or wanted to pretend she didn't care about. It was still half-charged. The charger snagged and damaged during the aftermath of another identical night out. The air smelled of cold chips and vodka, and not the good stuff either. You wouldn't poison someone with this stuff. It would be too cruel. Anya barely remembered the night before. Her friends' faces were vague etchings on her subconscious, scratches brought to her by flashing lights and brief moments of recognition. For most of the night, she must have been out of it, surfing on another plane of existence, a place from which her soul was permitted to take only one memory, the memory of her argument. Keaton had always been at least a bit of a dickhead. It was what made him attractive. That, and Anya's friends' belligerent disapproval and his jawline, and his taste in music, and his hair. Oh, his hair was the most important part. In fact, Anya had only realised how much of an all-round, universal, all-purpose, equal-opportunities, diversity-quota-soy-free dickhead Keaton was when the cretin had lopped all his hair off. Without the familiar mop, Anya was forced to make eye contact with him a lot more than usual, and what she found in his eyes didn't align at all with the jokey, comical dickhead she had made of him. It wasn't the same dickhead who did funny impressions of anyone new they met, and it wasn't the same playful dickhead who had built up months and months of years of in-jokes and references that only Anya would get. No, Keaton was a real dickhead, an actual dickhead to everyone, including Anya, and when she finally realised it stopped being funny almost as quick as they had both fallen in love, perhaps quicker, if that was even possible. Physicists have yet to work this one out. The argument had happened because Keaton had sent at least a dozen pictures of himself and his penis that was attached to the body in the, that was attached to his body in the photos, but that might not be by the end of this story, to one of Anya's friends, and then several more pictures to another one of Anya's friends. Her friends told Anya's friends told her right away, and without letting Keaton explain, this had happened before, and his excuse was that he was asking the woman for tips on taking good selfies before sending them to Anya. Anya left the house and asked her friends on a night out, most of which she didn't remember. She looked down at the kitchen counter. The remains of the kebab were smothered in a thick, blood-red hot sauce that, coupled with the troughs carved by Anya's drunken past self, gave the thing the impression of roadkill. She leaned in and scooped up some in her bare hands, then, feeding her head and jaw as if it was a separate entity to her arms and body, she began walking to the living room, still nodding to a drumbeat that had yet to fully bleed away from her ringing ears. She collapsed into the oversized sofa and nearly wept from the sheer comfort of it. She told herself she should have just moved in with a sofa instead. It might have been a better lover. She was still pissed at Keaton, obviously. Buzz fucking buzz. Her phone from the other room. It had either died or Keaton was saying something deliberately unimportant. He would be out on his morning jog, the wanker. She only had the buzz on for him or her parents, and they never used the mobile. It was always be the house phone. Annie looked in the direction of her bedroom and the phone across the open plan house and decided that she simply could not be asked. Not even if she had an office chair to roll from room to room. 
from kitchen to bedroom, an idea she pitched once to the once fun-looking Keaton, and which he promptly rejected for no fucking reason at all. Not even if that office chair had mounted to its flanks two large fire extinguishers with which she could propel herself. No, even the act of getting the even if the act of getting the phone was made fun, Anya wouldn't fucking bother. Buzz fucking buzz. And again, one more for those in the back. Buzz fucking buzz. That fucking buzzing fucked Anya off to such a fucking degree that she might have got out of her fucking chair if it wasn't so unreasonably fucking comfy and her entire body wasn't so fucking destroyed from the fucking night before. Fuck. Anya. The bastard said out loud. Keaton, the dickhead, king of the dickheads, was standing in their jointly owned living room looking sad like a dickhead. Anya nearly passed out again from the sheer force of the disrespect. What the shitting shit did he have to be sad about? Was there no suitable photo filter for his next dick pic? Had he ran out? Keaton, she replied. Anya, I'm sorry. Yeah. Congratulations. What do you want me to do about it? Anya said. She was quite proud of herself, but she didn't let her face show it because she couldn't move her face because she was still too drunk. I want to move on from it. That quickly? Anya said. You want me to just forget you sent a dick pic to my best friends? Ideally, yeah, that would be nice. And why should I do that? Anya asked. Keaton stood there ghost-like, his stupid face looking sorrowfully at Anya like an old toy he had broken. She crossed her legs and folded her arms. He was used to this, but not in the way Anya thought he was. I miss you. I miss us, Keaton said. I'm right here. Both of us are here, including your dick. I know, I'm sorry. I felt unappreciated, I, like there was something wrong with me. Probably because there is, Anya replied. Keaton moved forward a step, but Anya curled herself up tighter and he noticed, stopping himself from coming any closer. That's no excuse. You're right, he said. I never said that, but you were always so full of jokes and excuses. I'm sure you'll find one, Anya said. No, you did say it once. That's my point. I don't want to have this argument anymore. Anya was confused. Because we had it last night? Because we had it today, Keaton said. He fumbled with the pockets on his jeans and tried to look as useless as possible, which wasn't much more useless than how he usually looked. We haven't spoken today, Annie said. You're going to find this hard to believe, babe. But we have. And that's the end of that story. Um, it's not actually the end. It's all I'm going to read to you. Um, there is a science fiction twist, of course, because it's me, the Paisley Print author. What else did you expect to put a lot of swearing in a science fiction twist? That is precisely why you're here, my seven listeners. <laughs> it is exactly why you're here. So yeah, that one has a quite serious sci-fi twist, but I really love it. I think it's a really good story. Um, not as literary as Who Built the Humans, so I think it'll get more popular just because people prefer stories which are easier to read these days. That said, Who Built the Humans is an easy read. Um, I'm pitching it. You should buy it if you've not bought it. You should buy it. It's 99p, the ebook until January 1st, 2022. And the website is www.whobuiltthehumans.com. And from there, eventually, you'll also be able to order Hologram Kebab when that comes out. Because um, I'm going to add, I'm going to turn it into my author page, author website, I think. Because I'm already paying for that domain name. I don't really need like philipcarter.com. It just it feels a bit self serving. I don't know. And who built the humans is sort of like the question that I'm always asking. It's that existential question that always comes 
back because I find it fascinating as an atheist. You know, I've not found any of the world's religions satisfying enough to subscribe to them. Um, so I quite like coming up with my own theories, uh, which also, in reality, I wouldn't subscribe to, but they're pretty interesting. I've, weirdly enough, managed to convince at least one of my readers that we live in a simulation, which was accidental. But um, I might, you know, I don't know if I believe in that or not. I think it would be quite convenient because there's some stuff I've experienced in life that doesn't sit well with the atheist running my brain. Um, like having dreams that came true, that kind of thing. There's one particularly strange moment a few years ago where I had a daydream that my old ethics teacher called my mum and asked for like a photograph of someone in my family. And I, I can't say who specifically because it's like a legal thing but they asked for a photograph of someone in my family because like there was we had a stalker basically but it was somebody i was related to and i thought why would my old ethics teacher call and ask for a photograph of that person you could just find one online but i had the daydream and it lasted about 30 seconds and i turned to my mum and i just thought you know what i'll chance it and i said she's gonna call and this is what she's gonna say and 20 seconds later she did call and she said exactly what I daydreamed she would say. So there's stuff like that, and you could think, oh my god, I'm psychic. But you could also think, perhaps there's certain speech patterns that certain people have. Like, I knew that teacher pretty well in the past. And perhaps knowing the circumstances of what was going on at that time, part of my brain subconsciously worked out how things were going to pan out. And it's not like the universe is deterministic, but that some things are just more likely than others. You know, that's how we predict things. We can predict the weather. Doesn't mean that the weatherman is psychic. So as much as I might experience stuff that on the very surface does feel explicitly strange, I, I still believe that there's a scientific explanation for most of the things that happen. That's what I like to believe anyway. I hope that that's the case. Um, it always has been the case, really. Just all the mystical stuff has been chiseled away over time, and people think that science is this corrosive force that removes the mystery and all the magic and the love out of the world but it isn't because that's just a matter of perspective you know if you're coming into life as an atheist and you're allowed to remain an atheist and you're not pressured to believe in a certain religion just because of your geography you know because of the circumstances of your arrival on this planet for example if you're born in the middle east you might be less likely to subscribe to i don't know mormonism than if you were born to a Mormon family, you know. So I, I was, I'm basically the default setting of humans, which is very interesting, um, and it's a weird thing because I, like, when I was growing up, I had friends who were Muslims, I had friends who were Christians, but I knew that those friends wouldn't get along with each other. Um, but that's just because that was in high school, and people are just very surface level in high school. I like to delude myself into thinking people have more nuance as they grow older. And they're more likely to get along with people. But then Twitter was invented. And I was proven wrong. Um, the amount of phobics I've had thrown at me just for sharing memes. Uh, memes satirising the very things I'm accused of being. Strange, isn't it? Strange how the world works. But yeah, Hologram Kebab is a very fun book. I'm really, really looking forward to publishing it. I think... Um, it's weird because the first book that I was going to publish was called The Stephanie Glitch, and I wrote that at uni. 165,000 words long, and I thought, right, I need to edit it myself before I send it off to another editor. I want to get the story perfect, uh, all the dialogue and stuff. I'm going to put it away for a year, 
so I can become more objective. And that's pro tip. Definitely always do that. So I did that. I put it away for a bit and I thought, okay, that's all fine. Everything's good, but I'm bored. So I started writing short stories based on universes that Stephanie had visited. And one of those short stories became a sort of existential question because the Stephanie glitch started out as a hundred word short story called Afterlife, which I then realized could be a full novel. I went home after writing it at uni and I just sat in bed awake until five in the morning. And I, I just couldn't get the thought in my head that I need to write a book. So yeah, I wrote Stephanie glitch. Then I started writing short stories based on that as I'd put it away. That became Who Built the Humans, which was initially going to be a leaflet that I distributed for free to advertise to Stephanie Glitch because Stephanie was going to feature in it heavily. But she became a smaller and smaller part as I realized Who Built the Humans was like a really weird, much bigger thing. And then after Who Built the Humans, I realized some other stuff about what I'm writing and that is maybe it's a trilogy, maybe it's a series of things. And there's a time travel universe in Who Built the Humans, and that universe needs a sequel, I believe. I mean, it's it's finished, obviously. It's not like there's a cliffhanger. But there's some mysteries yet to be solved. So I started writing a sequel to that, and that's called The Furukawa Paradox. The Furukawa Paradox. And from that, I've realized, right, well, then I want to be able to pitch that as episodes to Hollywood, because inexplicably... That's an idea I've had, and I'm just going. I'm just going to go for it next year. I'm going to America. I'm going to LA. I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going to pitch my books. I'm going to throw them at people. That's what I'm doing. 2022. That's the goal. Get my book to Hollywood. Um, and if somebody steals my idea, then I'll make a movie about me crawling through the vents and assassinating people. That's a joke, by the way, for future people who may want to cancel me, such as Terminators. Terminators being the earliest example of cancel culture because they went back in time to cancel John Connor for his outdated views on artificial intelligence. Um, I forgot what I was talking about. Yeah, Who Built the Humans happened out of the Stephanie glitch, and then out of Who Built the Humans, there's the Furukara paradox. But also, because there's 11 short stories in Who Built the Humans, another one of the short stories needed a sequel, and that sort of became hologram kebab so in that charity shop story i read to you at the start of this podcast that's actually there's a device in that that's invented by a character called tim for tim who's in who built the humans so there is you know you can read them all individually but for the big nerds out there and i know that like 75 percent of my readership are like big nerds because you guys message me i've got fan art from you some of you ask me very detailed questions about stuff that eat you know I'd like to pretend I didn't consider it. You know, <laughs> people interview writers and say, oh yeah, the, the the fans have asked me a question. I didn't even think about this. And it's like, when it comes to character motives, I don't think about that. But if it's plot, people say, oh, how does this time machine work? And I'm like, yeah, I know the answer to that, sort of. I mean, if I knew how time machine worked, I, I, I would have built a time machine in the real world. But it's more about how the logic of that universe works, how the intersect pathways, which are like these tubes through time and space work, and what the ancient civilization is that built them. I mean, that's never revealed, but I know it, and I know about their culture. So if I'm writing a future book, it's all going to be consistent. So you can read them all separately in any order, and they're complete books, but they're all part of a multiverse. In the same way that, you know, for example, if you were watching Breaking Bad, you could watch an episode entirely about Walter White, or you could watch an episode entirely about Hank Schrader, and you'd still be learning things about those characters, and together you'd be building the universe. They don't both need to be in the same piece of media at the same time. 
which is how I approach writing. Really, if I had a budget, if I had lots of money, I'd be making films. That's the that's the God's honest truth. I've never said that phrase before. Why did I say that phrase? That's such a weird phrase for an atheist to use. Right, I'm going to end on that note, because I've just confused myself into yet another existential crisis, which, good for you, probably means I'll write another book later, and it'll be called Why Do Atheists Keep Using Christian Phrases? No, um, yeah, so Hologram Kebab will be out for pre-order at some point. It's going to be a little book, a little tiny book. Going to send it out to lots of bookstores. I've got a book deal at the moment with a record store in Manchester that I absolutely love. I'm so excited, but I currently don't have the fucking money to send them the books that I want them to sell. So, ah, I don't know what to do about that. So I'm doing editing packages at the moment. Um, so if you do listen to this and you want me to edit a poem, it's only £5. It, I will literally be paid less than minimum wage. I just need the money. At the moment, I'm selling my old Lego sets to people. You'd, you'd be amazed how much um, just a cardboard box goes for. Like £10 for a cardboard box, but it was a rare cardboard box from 1996. So I, I guess that's just what happens. But yeah, I mean, I'm in the business of literally selling everything I own now so I can afford to send who believes to people. Which I always thought would be the way it goes. But yeah, that's self-publishing for you. It's ridiculous, but I really enjoy it. I keep meeting weird people. And if you're listening to this and you're weird and you want to be on this podcast and maybe argue with me about how time travel might work or David Bowie's hair, because like 20 minutes after I finish this podcast, I'm going to be recording the next one and I'm going to be interviewing um, Joe, Joe the Lion. And I'm going to be talking to her about David Bowie's hair, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, you can look forward to that one. It's probably going to be broadcast a mere half hour afterwards because I'm this one's quite late. Anyway, I've been talking for 25 whole minutes now, which is amazing. And if anybody's listened the whole way through, I would please like you to send a message to Paysprint or for an Instagram saying, I don't believe that tinned beans exist. And that, that will be my secret code word. And I'll know that you've listened to a whole podcast and I will reward you somehow. Um, perhaps with a short story sent to your inbox years ahead of when it was actually meant to be published. I think that's a pretty cool prize. So yeah, tell me that you don't believe in tinned beans in my messages, and I will send you a short story. Goodbye! <laughs>